So if you have your copy of God's Word or your digital copy, printed copy, we have it on the screen. They're everywhere. God's Word is everywhere. And so uh, we have it on, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. And while you're turning there, I do want to let you know that uh, this is a, uh, I think we're in week four of probably about 60 weeks. Uh, so just kind of do the math. You'll kind of re- realize how, how long we're going to be in this, um, in this series as we go through uh, the book of Mark. And so we are, um, we are obviously still in chapter one in week four. Uh, we, we did a little bit of an introduction uh, to that, uh, to the book, who it was written uh, to and who, who, was, uh, who wrote it. It was actually uh, John Mark who uh, actually took the words of Peter, the disciple, and took his story and, uh, and brought it into written form. And the, um, the, before we introduce Jesus in this gospel, we introduced John the uh, Baptist who made the way uh, for Jesus, and he called people out into the wilderness. And we talked a lot about the wilderness, probably about two weeks, uh, about how we can get in our own wilderness. Sometimes we can get in the wilderness by the decisions we make, by the bad decisions. We find ourselves in a wilderness by disruptions in life, things that just happened to us and we weren't prepared for, and also direction of God. Sometimes God God would lead us out into the wilderness in order to do great things and experience Him. Uh, One of the best studies I've ever done... um, it was called Experiencing God. Uh, I, I first came out in the early 90s. And, um, and I think during college is when I uh, first did this study. And I've done it uh, probably, I guess probably about three times, once as our, our family. Um, but Experiencing God really kind of talks about that, about God calling you in the wilderness. I mean, Moses was called burning bush in the wilderness. And uh, the, the gentleman who wrote um, Experience of God, Henry Blackaby, incredible theologian, um, he actually passed away yesterday. So uh, Henry Blackaby, just an incredible man of God. Uh, but if you get a chance to do Experience of God, uh, order it. Go to, go to Amazon, go to a Christian bookstore or whatever, and, and get that, that workbook. It's an incredible uh, study. But, um, but often God would lead us into the wilderness in order to depend upon him, to trust in him, and, uh, and to understand, hey, uh, I'm not really in charge. And God speaks. God can speak um, in the wilderness. And so, uh, and then last week we talked a little bit about um, Jesus picked in his dream team, his disciples. And um, he picked just regular people. And he, he calls them to follow him. And if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then he has called you to, to follow him, okay? He's knocked on, the, uh, on your heart's door, and you've opened the door, and you've invited him in, and, um, and he became your Savior, which is awesome. But as I said last week, there, Jesus doesn't want to be just your, your Savior. He wants to be your shepherd. And the way that you make him your shepherd is you follow him. That's, you, you just do, you follow him. Well, how do you follow him? Well, you can follow him in many different ways. You can, you know, have time with him, either corporately, what right now, you are, you are showing that you are following a shepherd. You're doing that right now. And uh, in life groups, you can connect uh, with, um, with God through that. Uh, telling others about, about your relationship, you know. And, uh, I mean, several of you are probably going to watch the Super Bowl, I guess, you know. And you may have already talked about which team you want to win or... Some of you is like, I don't really care who wins. 
and uh, I'm just there for the commercials. Um, they're, they're not as good as they used to be. That's just my opinion, you know. Uh, but the uh, but you tell others about it, and so if you walk with Jesus, you want to tell others about Jesus because He is the living hope that you live for. And so um, so you could, you could do that, and you make sacrifices uh, to follow Jesus. So make Him not only your Savior but your Shepherd as well. You can't grow unless you follow. You can't grow unless you follow. Now, if you, Jesus is your Savior, you got your ticket to heaven. That's great, but. Make him your shepherd too. So um, today we're going to plow through chapter one. And, um, and this particular uh, set of scripture in chapter one talks about how a demon decides to come to church. <laughs> and um, and we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that. The Bible is very clear on, on actually, you know, demons. Prior to the creation of the world, uh, there were angels in heaven praising God over a period of time. Uh, pride came into uh, some of these angels with their leader, Lucifer, who was uh, one of the uh, archangels there. We refer to him as Satan. And um, he led a third of the angels um, in a rebellion against God. And God said, no, we're not going to do that. Cast him out of heaven. Created hell for uh, Satan and his angels. No, he did not create hell for us. It was never his plan to send us to hell. By the way, he didn't send anybody to hell. We send our own selves to hell. And, um, and so it was created for Lucifer, uh, Satan, and his angels. And so um, these, these fallen angels are known as demons. These demons are eternal beings who cannot be redeemed, will not repent, and they will live forever. They oppose God and do the uh, will of their leader, Satan. They oppress, they bind they control most of the world's population. They are real, they are personal, they are active, and they are very evil. Um, everyone who is not a Christian, and I, I say, not just say they're a Christian, they're born again, okay? They follow Jesus. Anyone who is not a Christian, born again believer, is influenced by the demonic power, okay? Now, it doesn't mean that Satan can't tempt us as believers, because he can, okay? But we have the ability, as we're going to talk through this, to counteract with that. The Bible is clear on, um, on a few things. If you want to, you don't have to turn to these. This is not our main passage of Scripture, but 1 John 5.19, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of what? The evil one. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that is Satan, Lucifer, the spirit of who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Disobedient to who? Well, disobedient to God. The demonic power is at work to one degree or another, in the life of every person who is not born again. Check out what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this age, lowercase g, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, unbelievers who say they don't see or understand God is a result of their rebellion that has been empowered and influenced by demonic activity. 
The world we live in, they claim there's no God. They can't see God. While their eyes are blinded. Their eyes are blinded by the influence of demonic powers. I'm not saying everybody's demon-possessed. There's, there's a lot of people that are, I believe, especially oppressed. But demons, they really don't want to be discovered, actually. Uh, Satan wants us to believe that demons are not real. He does. He wants us to believe that demons are not real. They try to hide as angels of light, operating in subtle ways to hide their deception. They would rather operate in the life of, of, you know, just people that aren't believers. And can I tell you something? I'm going to be very frank with you today. (laughs) Um, And that is that um, I believe that there are pastors that are, they claim to be believers and they claim to be Christ followers and um, they, they are not. You can see that by the, by, the, by the fruit. And there are pastors who maybe they, at one point they, they felt like they, they were following Jesus or, or maybe, you know, maybe they, they uh, had an experience or something. I, I don't know. And, and it's above my pay grade to say where the person is saved or not. But the Bible makes it clear. You look at their fruit. And not only of that, you look at what they're teaching. Is what, they, is what they are teaching in God's word. And so I believe that demonic powers have influence over certain pastors who advocate things that are against God's word, who advocate for homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion, and other things that are prohibited in scripture. And the devil has disguised himself so well. They are, uh, the demons are active in ordinary people, attacking them physically, emotionally, spiritually. And it's interesting to note in the Gospels how many times demonic activity is linked to illnesses. If you look at that, especially obviously in the New Testament, that's not to say that every illness is demonic. Not saying that at all. But we err on the other hand, if we don't recognize that a significant portion of physical, emotional, and mental illnesses has at times demonic activity behind it. Demons can cause the inability to speak, Matthew chapter 9, can cause blindness, Matthew chapter 12, can cause disability, Luke chapter 13, can cause epilepsy, Matthew chapter 17, cause mental problems and insanity, Luke chapter 8, be behind self-harm and cutting, Mark chapter 5, suicidal mania, Mark chapter 9, murder, Revelation 9, and various other ways and opportunities to engage in a person's life. So the bottom, the bottom line is this. Demons are real. Satan is real. And he influences people. Yes, he even influences people within the church. And he has pulled a blind veil over the eyes of this world to where they think there's no way there is a God. 
So I want us to uh, look at our main passage of scripture, Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 28, as we see all about this situation where a demon decides to come to church. So uh, 21, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue, which is a Jewish church, basically, and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as a teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, why do you want, I'm sorry, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Verse 25, be quiet said Jesus sternly, come out of him. The impure spirit uh, shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority, exclamation point. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. I want you to notice a word in that passage. The key word in that passage for today is authority. Everybody say authority. Authority. Yeah. Um, some of us don't like that word authority. And uh, some of us have kids that don't, don't really listen to us as authority. Um, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Um, and sometimes we don't uh, pay attention to the authority around us as we go speeding and we get a ticket like I did a few weeks ago in Rome, Georgia. So watch that speeding trap. Um, so there are three things I want us to understand about the authority of Jesus. And we're going to see this in this passage. There are three things, and we'll be done, about the authority of Jesus in this passage. We see the authority in his preaching. We see the authority in his preaching. Now, I want to remind you, this Mark's gospel is the account of Peter, the disciple and Peter saw a lot of miracles. And it's interesting to note that Peter decides to give us this miracle first. Hey, here's the first one right off the bat. He, he, he's, uh, he's driving out a demon. And if you remember the introduction of, of, of Mark in week one, we talked about how Mark is, I mean, the book of Mark is great for people like me who have ADD, ADHD kind of stuff. And so, because he, he's, he's moving quickly, he uses the word immediately, over and over and over again, immediately, immediately, and immediately. And here we have, right off the bat, boom, we're going we're gonna, to uh, let you, introduce, we're going to introduce you to Jesus by him dive, uh, driving out a demon out of somebody. And, uh, and so that's what happened. Happens. But it's interesting that he does this, and, um, and you know, but it's not the first miracle, because as we see uh, in other Gospels, is that he turned water into wine, and, um, but obviously, for some reason, Peter wanted us to see this one. Now, the town of Capernaum uh, will soon serve as his sort of base of ministry. Uh, he actually started in the southern part of the kingdom in, in, in uh, Judea, and then he went about 70 miles north in uh, Capernaum, which is on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, the city of Capernaum had about 10,000 people there in that time, um, biblical scholars say. And uh, Jesus has himself as a prominent teacher, has established himself as a prominent teacher in Israel. Jesus is invited as a rabbi to speak in a synagogue at a Capernaum. Everyone was astonished at his teaching, his understanding of God's word, his clarity, his interpretation and application. 
They were all stunned by all of these, by the command, by his authority. And it's, it's interesting, when other scribes or Pharisees would, would come and speak in the, in the synagogue, they would often read a passage of scripture and they would say, well, such and such rabbi said this. And such and such rabbi said this about this passage. And such and such person, if you remember, said this about this. Jesus is, he speaks with so much authority. His teaching says is, you've heard it said, not by so-and-so and so-and-so, but I say. But I say. You have heard it said, but I say. You look at the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said not to commit adultery. But I say, whoever looks upon someone in a lust of way has already committed the adultery. He takes the law and takes it to a whole nother level. You've heard it said, but I say. He talks in a position of authority. And people, people are just wondering, okay, who gave him the right to do that? <laughs> Who gave him the right to do that? Where did he get that authority? And right away, Jesus demonstrates his authority. In the middle of his teaching, this, this man who was demon-possessed shrieks, stops the message. You can imagine everyone's like, oh, you know that awkward, that awkward part, you know, in a, in a, in a service? And uh, you hear this kind of shriek. You know, like, like I've been in, the, in, in uh, services before and there's a, there's a child just not happy, just not really happy with my preaching, okay? And they just, they tell everybody. And it's great, you know? And we just keep pressing on. And it's just kind of like this, you know, kind of awkward thing, right? Uh, but it's all good. But this was a whole nother level of awkwardness. This demon-possessed guy had this shrieking shrill about him. And so everyone freezes and they have a little bit of fear about them. I find it interesting the difference between de uh, the demon's response to Jesus' authority and the people's response. The people were amazed. I just, I just talked about that. The people were amazed by his teaching. I've never heard this kind of authority. I am amazed by this. But how did the demons respond to his teaching? They were terrified. The demons were terrified. The people were amazed, and the demons were terrified. You know, when Peter met Jesus, the miraculous catch of fish, um, if, you, if you go back in some of the other gospels, it, it talks about this, where, where Jesus calls Peter there on the, on the shore, and... Uh, he had this miraculous catch of fish, and, and, and he realized, okay, we are dealing with someone. We're dealing with a Messiah. We're dealing with someone who has authority. And what does Peter do? He falls down on his knees, and he says, please, please, don't, don't, even, don't even look upon me. Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. You know, he had this sort of, this sort of fear about him. Now, obviously, the demons have this, this fear about him more than, more than anyone because it, it, it's sort of this 
this being, this person that they have known already. They already had an encounter with Jesus. Because you remember, demons started in heaven where Jesus was from. So they know what they're about to get into. So we see the authority in his preaching. Then we also see, number two, the authority in his presence. The authority in his presence. If you go back to verse 24 in our passage, you, um, you hear the demons say the word us. It says us, talking about himself and the man as his host. Okay? So he could be talking about him and the man as his host, or he could be even talking about him, uh, himself as a demon or other demons. Now, there's no record that he had multiple demons. There are, are encounters where Jesus does uh, come across someone who had legions of demons. But this man, for all we know in Scripture, only had this one. But it's interesting that, that he says us. He seems to be threatening Jesus by saying, if you do something to me, I'll kill this man as I go. In other words, what are you going to do with us? Me and this man, my host. What are you going to do with us? And so, the demon knows what is about to happen. It's interesting that the first eight chapters of Mark deal with um, the demons know who Jesus is, but the people don't. And around that time in the book of Mark is when people start to realize who Jesus really is. But in the first, first eight chapters, the people don't, the Pharisees don't, the Roman government surely doesn't. But the demons know exactly who Jesus is. And just being in the presence of Jesus calls demons to manifest themselves or to make themselves known. If, if you read in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you compare these, these two, the, the Old Testament doesn't really have that demonic power. I mean, you know, manifesting people, demonic possession. I'm not saying it, 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 it didn't happen. But they manifested themselves. They made themselves known in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Why? Because of the presence of Jesus. When the demons realized they were in the presence of Jesus, they had to make themselves known. Jesus knew that this demon was in there. It was in the synagogue. And he knew that he was going to make himself known. So in the presence of Jesus, demons make themselves known. There was never any authority over demons on earth until now when Jesus arrived. The authority of Jesus, his very presence, his very presence has authority. On a smaller scale, much, much smaller scale, if you look at people like famous people on this earth, they seem to have a lot of power, a lot of authority. One person that kind of has this power is Taylor Swift. 
Now, unless you've been hiding under a rock, yes, there are some students who are like, yes, 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 yes. Unless you've been hiding under a rock somewhere, um, you know that Taylor Swift is dating the tight end of the Kansas City Chiefs, Chiefs, Travis Kelsey. And Travis is playing the Super Bowl. There's a, there's a big game tonight. It's called Super Bowl. Okay? And they're playing in that game. And it, it's interesting, whenever Taylor Swift started dating Travis, she started going to the games. Well, their ratings of the Chiefs games skyrocketed from people that would never watch a football game. But why did they do that? Why did they tune in the football game? To catch an eye on Taylor Swift, who was up in the press box, and the camera zoomed in on them, and all the partying and cheering that would go on just to catch a glimpse of Taylor Swift. In fact, if she wears certain things at the game, then people would pick up on that, and those items would, would just, they would run out. The people would just flock to go and order those items online or go, go and wear those trinkets or clothing or whatever it is. I don't really keep up with that, but I, I, I did some research. And also, her concert, the Ares Tour, has brought in more money, more money than you know, some small countries. Their whole budget. She is someone with earthly authority. But nothing like the authority of Jesus. And one day she will see that firsthand, as we all will. The presence of Jesus has authority. The demons know it, and they tremble in fear. So we have the authority of Jesus preaching with the authority of Jesus' presence. It brings authority, just the presence of Jesus. Jesus in the room brings authority. Now, before I go to my third point, I want to let you know, this isn't just the Jesus who was here and, um, and he's gone and he's up in heaven and so he doesn't really appear anymore. You know, he sent, he sent the, uh, the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And that is Jesus with us. Jesus in us for those who accepted Christ as Savior. And so that same Jesus, that same power, that same authority for those who follow Jesus is in you. And that same authority is in the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is there, things happen, things change. And it doesn't have to be just big things. Yeah, it could be miracles that'll happen. But God, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. It's like when Jesus walks into the room, when the Holy Spirit walks into the room, it's like, man, maybe tears will come down. Or maybe you just got so much joy. You're like, where did this come from? And you just start laughing. But when Jesus enters the room, things change because of his authority. And it's not always a bad thing. In most cases, it's a good thing. So, he had authority in his preaching, his presence, and the third thing we see in this passage, his power. His power. 
Remember, the people that saw Jesus spoke with authority, he saw Jesus who spoke with authority, they had this question, who, who gave him, who gave him this authority? I mean, like, like who, what is this teaching? Question mark. And so they, they had this question. And so Jesus answers the question with what? Authority and power. Authority and power. So he commands the demon to come out. The man goes into convulsions. As a, as a demon comes out, the people were amazed, asking, what is this teaching and was preaching, and uh, this preaching that was backed up authority. So what, is, what does this say to us? I mean, how can we try to apply it to our lives today? Let me just kind of unpack this for couple more minutes and we'll be done. Um, I, I just want to remind you, as I, as I kind of close this out, demons are real. Demonic forces are real. And your belief or lack of belief in Satan or his demons do not diminish the effects of their power. The Bible is clear. There are demons. I, now, I don't look for demons around every corner. I do, however, live my life knowing that demons are trying everything possible to move in power against me, my family, and this church. And as a church, over the past 11 years, we've seen, and for those who've been here, you know we have seen the devil come in here and try to take it all away. We've seen it. But I'm reminded often that the gates of hell will not prevail against this church or the church, the big C church, and that no, war, no weapon formed against me will prosper against me and my family. No weapon formed against the bride of Christ. And nothing can stand against or will prevail against the church. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating fear as I'm talking about demonic powers, but I am advocating caution and awareness. I am. You may say, well, I, I don't see demon-possessed people or demonic activity. Well, of course you don't. Because Satan has deceived us and has masqueraded his activity as something else. He has. Sure, we may have not have seen people convulse and shriek. By the way, that does happen. I've been in rooms where demons were cast out of people. And uh, I have actually seen God open my spiritual eyes to see a demon. That's another sermon. I've talked to people who were demon-possessed. I was by myself. Didn't feel like trying to cast the demon out by myself, so I left. And so, they do possess people, and yes, they are real. But one main reason we may not see their work is because we've been led to believe that, that there are certain things in this world and how people live their lives and how they're, they're against God's word that I believe the demonic influence has caused people to live 
alternative lifestyles, believe in certain things. And I'm not saying that all those people are demon-possessed, but they are heavily influenced. I do believe some of them. Absolutely. You, you just watch on, watch on TV. Some of the, 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 the transgender parades and some of the other things that, that, that people are for. And it's like, man, my spirit inside me said there's something wrong there. Something is just not right. And so, Satan has done everything you can to not show himself like in the Old Testament. I'm sorry, the New Testament. But he does show it in a lot of variety of ways. Satan has moved the demonic influence of some of these beliefs that stand against God's word. He's, he's moved them from the... Um, from the, the spiritual arena to the political arena where they can be protected. And th- those items aren't political. They're spiritual. And we must call them out like it is. And it's demonic activity. It's demonic influence. It's blatant living a life against the word of God. So his demonic activity is here, very much alive. We also see it in, in uh, popular entertainment. We see this in our life. You know, when I was growing up, we had one screen. Had four channels. And it was easy to monitor that screen. <laughs> I couldn't just watch anything because it was right in the middle of the living room. And at what, help me out, 11 o'clock, it just went, remember that? There was a, the flag and the Star Spangled Banner, you know, and then it just went, you know, poltergeist, right? And so, um, sorry, going to my 80s roots, right? Um, so, but today, do you know in our house, I, I actually counted in our house, just mentally and just, all the, you know right now in our house we have anywhere between 15 to 20 screens in our house. 15 to 20, and when everybody's there, it could be up to 30 or 35 screens in our house. Now, you could do lots of things to monitor that. We, we do, I'm sure things do slip by. Yes, they have in the past. And uh, we put filters on those things. But Satan has given everyone, starting at age four, yes, their own private screen where demonic influence resides. And it can come right on through. Man, he is disguising himself. There could even be Situations at home. If you're having problems with some, some people in your house, I would encourage you to just take an inventory of what's in your house. I mean, if you have, if you have a, a child or, or teenager or even an adult living in a house and they have certain posters on their wall that have this sort of warlord or demonic sort of stuff and just kind of artwork, 
And, or if they're listening to certain music and definitely watching something on their individual screen, that is a gateway for demonic activity in your home. It is a gateway. It's like permission. Permission for the enemy to come right in and to do whatever he wants. The spirit world is real. We do sometimes make the mistake of making too much of it. I agree. There are people who make too much of it. Oh, man, that's, that's demonic. No, that's just that person being stupid. Okay? But, yeah, there, there are times we, we make too much of it. Absolutely. I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to say everything is demon-possessed and everything is, is, you know, demonically influenced. But the, the dark powers of this world definitely are. But we also make the mistake of not bringing enough attention to it. Not bringing enough attention to the fact that demonic activity is real. And yes, and it can even show up at church. Like in this passage. But demons are real. But I also got to say as I close out, Jesus is real. Everybody say amen. amen. He has given us his authority. We know this in Mark chapter 3. You don't have to turn it, but 14 through 15. He appointed um, 12 that, uh, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and, have, um, and to have authority to drive out demons. Jesus first wants us to be with him. It says this, he appointed 12 that they might what? Be with him. Be with him. If we are with him, then we could share Christ with others. We could share the gospel. And yes, we even have authority over demons. But if we are not with him, then we do not have that authority to drive out demons. If you're not following Jesus, if you're not walking with Jesus, don't go to try to, you know, cast a demon out of somebody. Because you're not walking with Jesus. You've got to be with him. Jesus has given you the authority. Now, there are certain groups of, of Christians who teach, well, this is only for the original 12 apostles, and I don't, I don't, I don't believe that at all. Um, I believe that we have been given that authority as well as believers. There's other places in Scripture we could turn to, and we, we see it in our world today. So, Jesus, if he's your shepherd, then you will follow him, and you'll be given this authority. Now, this authority extends to those who have not accepted him as Lord and Savior. Now, you, you can't have this authority until you do the following. You say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to make you, I would love for you to be my, my Savior, and I want, you, I want to make you my shepherd by following you. And the Holy Spirit will come inside you, give you that authority. And the more that you walk with him, the more that you realize you have authority. And the more that you read God's word, the more you realize, yes, 
That authority has been given to me. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be looking for people who are demon-possessed. I'm not saying you need to go look for that all around the corner. But you need to understand that Satan is there and his demons are there to try to influence you through other people, through your family, through, through whatever. And so you need to be aware of this. And to know, just like Jesus had authority, you have authority. You need to walk in that authority. You need to walk in that authority. Now, for those who have accepted Christ, that authority can be given to you. But you have to surrender your heart. You have to surrender your all to him. And I'm going to give you that opportunity, whether you're here right now or watching online or listening, I'm going to give you that opportunity now. So every head bowed, every eye closed, if we could just have this moment here. If you're sitting here saying, Pastor Frank, you know, I, I have never, I've never crossed that line of faith. I've never asked Jesus to be my personal Lord, Savior, and Shepherd. And so I want to do that right now. So if that is you, just say a simple prayer. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And I believe he's on his throne in heaven. Please forgive me, Jesus, of my sins. Please come be my savior. Come into my life. Help me to live for you. And help me follow you. I choose you, Jesus. I'm taking one foot out of the world and I'm putting both feet in the gospel. Both feet, I'm all in. I'm all in with you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, we'll continue obviously with Mark. And we'll be in the next few verses and Mark chapter 1. I encourage you to go ahead and, and uh, read through that. And just know this. Be with Jesus. Walk in that authority. And he's already given that to you. Hey, before we totally uh, take down the... Uh, down chairs and stuff. I want us to be able to visit, hang out a little bit. And uh, if you haven't met any, uh, some, some folks, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. We do have some uh, cupcakes and drinks in the back. And we'd love for you guys to join us. If you go into the movie theaters, there are plenty of seats. I've checked yesterday. And so there's like 200 seats, right? So you can buy those at the door at uh, AMC Theater at 3 o'clock. We will be there. And we'll save some seats for folks. And we love you guys. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you.